0: All right, so handouts, and if you've got your Bibles, great. If you've got an app, I love it. If you'd like a scripture record just like this one right in front of the seats in front of you, we're going to start off in First Samuel chapter 14. I'll do some summarizing today. As much as there is in First Samuel, we could stay there for a long time, but we will not. So uh, to just set ourselves back into the, the recent history of our lives uh, in America, and specifically in Louisville, and in about a, a week and a half's time, three deadly shootings, hearts that are shattered, lives that are over, lives that are forever uh, diverted off the course that they had imagined to be the way they would live, and, and now that is destroyed. And so the hearts are hurting, and hearts have stopped beating as a result of Uh, heinous individuals' decisions to establish or defend their own little kingdoms, to to just set it in terms of our series. you've probably heard or or read all kinds of things like it's this administration's fault or it's that administration's fault or maybe around the cooler or in a tweet or a snap maybe you have heard something like well here's what you need to do to fix it and if if I were in charge this is this is what we would do and it would fix it and each one of these is a perfect representation of what it's like to, to live and to declare king me because I'll take care of things. And it's, it's also a perfect, a, a perfect little microcosm of what it's like to try to establish and defend our own little tiny garbage fiefdoms. It's what it looks like when we allow our heart to become the selfish disaster that it is apart from Jesus giving us a new heart it is what it looks like to live apart from Christ. It is encountering the realest problem with the realest circumstances, the highest stakes, the most eternal and fatal stakes. It is actually life and death. Now, I'll imagine that your views and mine probably align pretty well politically, but you would probably agree that there will not be a political answer. And maybe you've even become enthralled with some political candidate at some point in your life who, whether it be a, a claim that they made as they're campaigning that they just immediately forgot once they were in office, or maybe it was an ideological U-turn where you were not planning that to happen, and then it happened. But you and I have seen that we can't rest our hope on a, a political savior or someone to establish an earthly kingdom that is, that is really going to bring us the hope that our hearts... Desire. When we trust earthly kings who lead and establish and defend earthly kingdoms, then we're going to experience what it's like to deny the power of the one true king who is establishing his kingdom. If you just remember back to last week, it is both with us and in spite of us that he will accomplish. His purpose and His will for His glory. So that's with or in spite of us, God will accomplish His perfect will. So what if, uh, what if today, just within our hearts, we yield that kingdom desire, that, that hope to be part of something that makes a lasting difference, an eternal hope, something that maybe could answer this incredible violence, that we live in, that we see, that we walk along this life in a broken world alongside people who live in this county, who were part of that tragedy, who maybe you had their kids in school, or maybe you had them and now they have kids and they're gone. What if there was a king who had an answer for the disaster in which we live. Well, we, we can't see that if we're busy building a little garbage kingdom. Being little heroes and, and commanding the people, King me, in our little fiefdoms of trash. We have to declare that the one true king is indeed the only king who can bring the hope and the peace and the answers to the violence that we see all around us we declare our allegiance to that king our our willingness to fall in line our our desire to live with the values that he's established that thereby establish his kingdom so we declare that when we imitate his actions when our hearts begin to look like his heart when we live in the purpose for which we were created, to be image bearers of God. And right now you're like, dude, that has there is no chance that that's the solution to this. I didn't make this up. This wasn't my idea. I'm reading his word, and I hope I'm presenting faithfully his answer to the pain that we see in the world today. And the suffering that even our neighbors, our friends, have experienced So our first blank, Jonathan, is not a king, but he shows the heart of a true king. We're going to meet two people this morning who I think have indicators or marks or really you have to look at their actions to say, what kind of heart is it that that person has? We're going to meet Jonathan. We're going to meet David. And we're going to examine their actions to see what kind of a heart does a a kingdom worker a member of the family of God. What kind of a heart should a Christian have if we want to follow the true king instead of saying king me and my my little fiefdom of trash over here? So we see Jonathan is not a king. Like you and me, we're not kings. He's not a king, but he shows the heart of a true king. So number one, in the face of danger to himself, Jonathan put Israel first. In the face of danger to himself, Jonathan put Israel first. And I'm reminding you that we're in 1 Samuel, and I'm going to be summarizing and reading from chapter 14 predominantly. I'm going to start with verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, "'Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few.'" So just quick review, Jonathan, king or not the king? Not the king, N- not the king like you and like me, not a king. So, so Jonathan, not a king, but living still in this tension that we want to develop really quickly, this is, a, this is how Jonathan, not just in this battle, but how Jonathan put Israel first. Jonathan took the responsibilities and some of the duties of, of the king, Saul, he He took some of those responsibilities and he lived in a manner that was consistent with the wishes and the desires and the purposes of the king of that time. His father, Saul, was, remember, he was establishing and defending the boundaries of Israel. And Jonathan then, as a a citizen of that same kingdom, then lived in a way consistent with the values and purposes of the king. Thereby, Jonathan and his young armor-bearer went and defeated 20 Philistines between these two peaks in a valley. And then all of Israel is able, to, uh, I'm sorry, Israel's army is then able to defeat the Philistine army at the specific battle because Jonathan's small, selfless act, his willingness to place his faith in God and then to act as though he really did believe what he said he believed. And Jonathan and his armor-bearer by their victory then encouraged all of Israel's army to go have their very same victory. Jonathan was willing to lay down his life for his father, for his armor bearer, for his nation, and Jesus said it this way, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. That was Jonathan. It was my... uh, Uh, Sorry, our wedding day. It was our wedding day, not just my wedding day. And uh, so, Andrea, I think you stand here, and I'm standing here, and my pastor, the TV here, he's standing here, and and he says, Chris, let me try to do this. There we go. Imagine beautiful hair. All right, and he says, says, Chris, would you take a bullet for Andrea? Oh, yes, of course I would take a bullet for Andrea. And uh, then everyone is like, oh, that's good. Of course, he probably should do that. And then... I've never been caught more off guard uh, in a more public setting in my life than when my pastor says, uh, will you take out the trash for her? Oh, oh, like right in front of everybody. You know, my my reaction is not something that can be hidden. And I'm thinking, take out the trash. It looks like I've never taken trash out in my life. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'll take out the trash. And he says, what about when it's not your turn? What about when it's raining? What about when she just got one more thing, but you're on the way to Home Depot and she wants this trash in that bag before you take it out? What about when after you've asked her not to stack it ever so perfectly on... Is there laughing over there? (laughs) In this area that I hear laughing? (laughs) Are you still willing to take out the trash? Uh, Can we talk about that bullet again? Because of course, we're very excited about the thing that brings all of the glory and all of the accolades and all of the the national attention to how we uh, were willing to stand up for our spouse, our family, or uh, maybe our friends or our neighbors. But I think that what we see in Scripture is, is the willingness of one to continuously lay their life down for another. So we have to stop right now and And maybe laugh a little less at me and think a little more about how our spouse might respond and this this includes me but how would our spouse respond if if someone were to ask them is your husband or wife regularly putting your needs above their own is your is your sibling your brother or sister at any point in their life, able and willing to put their needs below your needs? Because of whose kingdom they seek to establish, are they willing to behave in such a way that they now look like the one who they say is king? Do they live that way regularly? Not do they take a bullet, but will they take out the trash? Not Do you get white gloves, silver tray, breakfast in bed? That's nice. But will they do the mundane, everyday, daily, thankless tasks that meet your needs and show your willingness to put the needs of someone else above your own, like Jonathan, who was not a king, like you and like me? Again, uh, this is number two, in the face of danger to himself, Jonathan put David First, Jonathan gave David his robe, and he gave him his... I'm going to look at my notes. His bow and his belt, and he gave him his tunic. And you can see now I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to summarize some, and I'm going to read some. 18, verse 12, we'll have on the screen. Saul was afraid of David. Get all the characters straight for a second. Saul, the king, was afraid of David currently his harp player. Uh, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So this is where that tension I'd indicated Jonathan was living through and in. You may be able to identify you're not in a king's house, but you may have something similar and you may have to ask the question, am I willing to put this other person first? But we're talking about David and Jonathan. So imagine... Uh, Jonathan the son of Saul here living in King Saul's house in his palace and with his people and always at his table eating where he can see Jonathan, He can see whether he's there. He can see what his response is like when maybe Saul talks about David or maybe someone else talks about David and Saul's expression is visible to Jonathan. But Jonathan lives in this tension of, of, I live in the king's house, my father, the king, who's establishing and defending the borders of Israel, but I am great friends with this David guy. And I want him to be safe from my father, the king, who's pursuing him all over Israel, trying to capture him and likely take his life. After all of those searches, Jonathan still seeks to meet with and encourage and give aid to, I would even say allegiance to, someone he recognizes as a friend Jesus said it this way, for whoever would lose his life would save it, but whoever tries to save his life will lose it. I think I flipped it around there, but you guys make that happen really quick. So if we're trying to save our lives, we're going to lose it. If we see Jonathan over here just trying to preserve his own life, maybe place his kingdom over the one that he knows is the rightful kingdom, we might see Jonathan lose his life. How many of us like to fatalize the need to lay down our lives to the point that we're ready to take that bullet right now. But when it's time to take out the trash, maybe your face looks a little like mine looks. Surprised, shocked, dismayed, especially when you have a trip you need to make to Home Depot and there's just one more thing for the trash. But I think that you get the point that maybe not all the time does it look like us living in a king's palace or fighting for another, uh, against another country to defend our own, but maybe it just looks like uh, each of us having like, watchful eyes to see what it is that our friends and our family might need and being willing then to say, your needs above my own. And when we're doing so, how in the world does it have anything to do with guns what are you what are you talking about Chris these are unrelated entirely but they're not because we have a true king who was encountering death the same way that some of our friends and our neighbors are encountering death and and when he encountered death Paul said that he considered himself nothing he didn't think that he could have equality with God but he became subservient to death it was like Jesus realized and lived a life that expressed this kingdom value where in the face of death when death is certain when we see that death is all around then you you live your life in service of those that you love that was literally his answer that is, the, the answer is to establish a kingdom that loves no matter what. And he gave his life to establish that kind of kingdom, that now when we live our lives in alignment with that sort of value, then the world sees that there is a hope that is higher than being safe from a bullet. Although we need to be safe from bullets, the world can see that there's a higher value, and that a value is to make sure that every person knows that there's a kingdom that we can be a part of even now, and that lasts forever, and that there's a true king who has made eternal life available to each one of us. I, I know this probably doesn't sound like uh, exactly like Jesus dying on a cross, but I do not want to make it sound like you have to be a king or a war hero or go out and actually find a cross. But let me make a very practical application for you. Uh, I started here 20-ish years ago, and by that time, Robin had already been here, you know, 20 years, so you can do the math on that if you like. He's older than me. So uh, the point being, uh, Robin had been here long enough to know what it's like to live the kids and student ministry life. And also have your own life that's supposed to somehow go on while well, you've got uh, camp, and then VBS, and then camp, and then move, conference, and then camp, and then, and then mix, and then more camp, and a mission trip, and camp. And by the end of the summer, Robin says to me, hey, does your wife remember your face? I could introduce you guys if you like. Uh, but what Robin was doing was he was, he was laying down his life, uh, not in a perfect way. I assure you, this is not Robin's perfect uh, time. This is Robin. really did try to lay his life down in a way that put the needs of me and my family above his own. Because remember, he's got his own kids and his own wife, and they have to have their own family time together when you're off of school. So I didn't have to preach a whole bunch in the summer times. And oh, thank God, that meant that like the one week that was open, we could get away together as a family. So you see that it doesn't have to be uh, that you're living in a king's palace and that you're secretly rendezvousing with your friend to try to make sure that he has all the info that he needs to stay alive because your dad's a psycho king. Uh, You don't need to have that situation specifically. You need to have the mindset that because I follow the one true king, whose kingdom is coming, being established even now, that when I live my life in accordance with his will, it looks like me living like he would. It looks like if someone needed something, that I would help them with that need. That even if that person is my sibling, oh my gosh, my brothers and sisters, are you kidding? My classmates, you're kidding me. But it looks like us being willing to say your needs above the needs of my own. So we're not kings, but when we live with the heart of a king, it looks like our true king, and we then join him in establishing his kingdom even now. So uh, last blank here on your, your top part, we show the heart of the true king by surrendering our lives. We show the heart, we express the will, of the true king when we surrender our lives. Uh, George writes about being aboard uh, a troop carrier traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, and he looks down at his friend who is heaving over the rail, and he says, uh, <clears throat> "He says I, I never knew you had such a weak stomach. And his friend replies, My stomach is not weak. I am heaving just as far as the rest of these guys are. Uh, You may have had a better joke for today, but uh, last night my wife said, do you have a joke for tomorrow? I said, no. Would you like to give me one? Oh, no, I was just curious. (laughs) So there you go. There's your joke. That's the joke you get if you don't like it. Maybe uh, tell Andrew to quit offering me jokes she doesn't have. (laughs) Thanks for that. Uh, Okay, so our next blank. David is not a king. You're not a king. I'm not a king. David is not yet a king, but he shows the heart of a true king. David is not a king, but he shows the heart of a true king. Now this is going to say number three on your papers, but uh, on minus number one, the important thing is that right here you're looking for these words. In the face of certain death, David trusts God. In the face of certain death, David trusts God. Now I'm in 1 Samuel 17. I'll, uh, I'll read some, but I'll, I'll summarize some as well. So David, also not yet a king, trusts the Lord completely. When his superiors are afraid, when everyone on the whole line of Israel's army is afraid, David trusts God alone. When he really should be on his way home, remember obey your mother and father, when he should be on his way home, because his dad asked him to return, David chooses to trust God alone. When Everyone is telling him, hey, the facts are you're going to die. Israel's going to die. Saul's going to die. We're all going to die. David chooses to trust God alone. And these are the circumstances under which we first encounter David as just about to be a soldier. So as Israel just stands there in fear, this young shepherd boy approaches a giant, Goliath, who's a professional soldier, shouting down the name of the Lord it, the scripture says uh, Saul and the Israelites, uh, two different descriptors here. They were dismayed and terrified, or they were greatly afraid. David, though, we read that his three older brothers are at battle with Saul. And his three older brothers, of course, have some influence in his life because they've been his older brothers his whole life. They tell him he needs to go home. And they're standing there listening for 40 days with the rest of Israel's army. David delivers the bread. He delivers the cheese. He sees Goliath calling Israel out day after day and threatening to destroy them, making fun of the living God. But David says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? His brothers are still talking down to him. The older men finally say, just go see Saul. Go see him. I want us to see that David does not trust some specific skills that he has. I am a, I'm a man with a very specific set of skills. David does not trust his lion and his bear-killing skills. David declares that his trust is in the Lord alone. I'm reading from 1 Samuel 17... Verses 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried a sheep off from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Does it sound like David is trusting God completely? I mean, it could just admittedly, it could sound a little braggadocious, but he continues and he clarifies where his trust is. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul tries to put his armor on David. It doesn't fit at all. And you know the story. He gathers five smooth stones from a book. He takes the sling. He faces Goliath in the valley between two very tired armies. Tired of listening to Goliath. Tired of being out here. Tired of not having a resolution to this battle. Tired of hearing our God be called not enough. At this point, Goliath is cursing David to his face. Right, do you send a dog at me, a young boy? But how does David respond to all of this? In verse 45, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, And here's the purpose. You're not a king and I'm not a king, but here's the purpose, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So David is not here to glorify himself. He's not here to establish a little fiefdom, although he could have a pretty big one at this point. Quickly, what we're not learning here before we get to what we are learning, what we're not learning, and I have to say it in the context of this passage because you're going to read a book about it, you're going to hear another sermon about it, and there can be other applications I will grant you. I'll make one myself. But what we're not learning from David and Goliath is that you just need to go to work on Monday and face your biggest fear, and God will give you success. We are not learning that you need to schedule the conversation you've been avoiding, and God will give you success. We're, we're not hearing that, that Goliath is really this this ambition that you have always wanted to chase and you need to bite off more than you can chew and you need to hold your nose and close your eyes and hold your breath and just pray and then god will make you profitable at the end of every quarter forever we are not reading or seeing or hearing any of that kind of trash because that is the actual little the little king me gospel that's like the little westernized, Americanized garbage version of make your own little dream of like life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness plus Jesus, profits forever, vacations. That's this little tiny fiefdom of, of make-believe, of falsity. That's really on the edge of a prosperity gospel, and it's trash. And here's how you see if it's trash. You just look at the throne of the kingdom that you're being sold. You just look at that throne, and who's on that throne? Is Jesus behind the throne being like, you go get him. I'm going to make your kingdom great. Or is Jesus on the throne, and you're down here saying, like, thank you for sharing your victory. How can I be a part of your kingdom, a real lasting kingdom, with a true and rightful sovereign king? You just have to see if that subtle shift has happened when someone maybe is talking about David and Goliath. Is Goliath the fact that you can't get out of debt? That's a little garbage gospel. We want to we know the true gospel that we have a king who's rightfully the king, we talked about on Easter, who if we follow in his footsteps, if we live in allegiance to him, we're members of his family. We're members of his kingdom, helping establish that kingdom even now. So, Like I said, uh, you could preach something else about this, maybe a secondary meaning. The primary meaning would just be the Lord is gonna bring glory to himself. The Lord will be glorified on the battlefield through this little child in the face of this giant man. The Lord will be glorified. There is the point. You could make another point and and that point would be that we should work really hard whether we're gonna talk about David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. You could make that point and it might be a side point. What we need to see is that God can, with us or without us, anoint whoever he chooses. Remember Hannah, remember Eli, remember Samuel, remember Saul, now see David, and he will anoint any one of us, though we're not a king, to help establish his kingdom. We're also noticing that God does not look at the outer appearance, but he looks at the heart. He uses the smallest and the weakest and the most unknown, and he uses them to shame the he's to shame the wise and the powerful. He takes broken people and by his power brings hope and life and peace to a world that's shattered and living in darkness. That's how God wants to operate. That's that's what he wants to do with his church. So if you're today thinking, man, I'm so broken and shattered and I'm nothing, that's exactly who God wants to use. In fact, Paul says it this way: He says that in my weakness, when I found myself unable and trodden down and broken and shame-filled, then God was able to then make his strength perfect in me right then. That is when he can work the best. That's the kind of king that we have, a true king that uses broken vessels, that wants to empower each of us when we put our trust in him completely. Do you ever think uh, to increase our trust in him, God will Allow us to walk through a valley, maybe to go through something really difficult or hard, and find that when there's nothing left for us to do, all we have left to do is to trust God. Then maybe situations beyond our control, our health, our finances, our family, we finally come to the moment where we trust God. Uh, our second point: this would be maybe number four on your papers. On mountain tops and in valleys. David trusts God. So we're inclined to trust our own hearts. We're inclined to trust the professionals. Maybe to trust the advice of our friends. Or to always listen to what our parents said no matter what. What if David had taken the bread and the cheese and gone straight home? We're inclined to trust what people tell us. But David trusts God. Saul was afraid. Israel was afraid. David's older brothers were afraid. They told him to go home. But David trusted God. So practically, because I know you're thinking, I'm not on a battlefield. I'm not in the palace of a king. I am not David. I am not Jonathan. I have no javelins. I don't even have a sling and a stone. How on earth does this practically apply to me in my life right now today? I think we can see two truths lived in the life of David in this scene. He declares the truth that he understands about God. He declares the truth. There's no blank for you. He declares the truth that he understands to be true about God. So in January, my mother is dying, and we kind of expected this because after two strokes and diabetes and multiple complications, we're expecting and we're noticing that death is near. And so in the time when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm telling you that we declared what David declared. We declared the truth that we knew to be true about God. We declared, uh, he knows the number of hairs on our head. We said, uh, he provides peace that passes understanding. We said that there is a better place that she is about to go. We said these things to one another, and we read scripture that declares the hope that we have in Jesus alone. The second thing I think that we see is true from David's encounter with Goliath, and that is we share that same truth that we believe to be true about our true king, about his real kingdom even now being established. We we share that truth with people who encounter us and ask us about our journey. This is very practical. Each one of us is going to have the opportunity to walk through some kind of a valley, to go through some kind of difficulty, to live through pain and suffering and trials and tests and challenges, seasons of change we never expected. And we're going to have the opportunity when people ask us Man, how are you living through that? How are you doing? How is life right now? We're going to have the opportunity right then to share that our hope is rooted in the truth that one true king gave his perfect life for us and that he has taken his life back from death, defeating death, reversing the curse of sin, Defeating the evil one, Satan, the only rightful king to whom our allegiance is due, and we therefore are walking in his ways. It sounds something like that. Friends, it just it's so simple, it just sounds something like, man, I'm still a broken disaster, but I'm trying to follow this king who gives me living hope because he's a resurrected, reigning king, establishing a kingdom right now that although the devil's still on loose. His kingdom is coming. In a letter some Christians who found themselves 2,000-ish years ago struggling through the same kind of thing, uh, a culture that was pressing in on them, you you really need to follow the ways of our world and a tradition from a religion they'd left behind, uh, uh, their Jewish religion, Uh, you really need to embrace some of these traditions again This letter was written to them, and the author gives them some encouragement that I think is good for us as well, writing, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we're surrounded by other people who've walked right where you've walked, they've been through what you've gone through, they know how difficult the life you're living is right now, let us then throw off everything that hinders, the sin that entangles, let's throw it off and let us run continuously with perseverance the race that's set out before us, to live in the value of a kingdom citizen, to look like our king, to fix our eyes on that king, Jesus, who established that, the author and perfecter, the pioneer of our faith, for the, the joy set before him, now here's a little of how he did it, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of God consider him think about him think about what he went through he endured all of that opposition so that so he so that we won't grow weary and lose heart that's what it looks like to fix our eyes on Jesus in those valleys where we how do we practically do just what David did just what Jonathan did How do I today do that when I go to work tomorrow and it's hard again and that person is there in that cubicle still making that noise? How do I live as a kingdom citizen in the midst of trials that are insurmountable, health failing, and family I never saw coming? Paul writes to Timothy, who's living through some difficulties himself. He says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So uh, your second to last blank, we show the heart of the true king by trusting the Lord. We show the heart of the true king by trusting the Lord. And your last blank, the the true king gives us new hearts. And this is is good news for you and for me because we don't know how in the world we're going to live a life like I just described about Jonathan and David willing to put others first and to lay down their lives by trusting God alone. How in the world am I supposed to do that? You have no idea the financial difficulty I face. You have no idea how I've been betrayed by this friend who is my friend forever. You have no idea the way I'm facing maybe death because there's no treatment. And friends, what I'm telling you is that when the world is watching and when you feel like you're without hope, that there is a true king who gives us new hearts. He gives us new hearts. He changes our heart. He gives us his righteousness, his desires, and he gives us the power to live lives as kingdom members. I want to remind you of one more person. As you bow your heads, our praise team will come out, and I want to remind you, new members, meet me in the lobby. But I want to say that for people that are here today, and you realize right now, I'm not living a kingdom life. I'm not following the only true king. I am not working with Him, alongside Him, declaring Him as my King, my Lord, my Savior. And this morning, you know that it's time for you to set that right. Friends, I'm I'm challenging you this morning to not walk away from the only true King that has solutions to the death that is encompassing our world, to the pain that is coming into your life through so many places I'm not sure, but places like financial hardship, that cause you to begin to trust yourself and how much you can earn. Places like betrayal from a friend, where you think the right thing to do is to get back at that person. Maybe for you, it's, it's a, a relationship that has started to decay because of the fact that they're not following a true king and your heart is set on establishing a kingdom that's lasting by following the true king Jesus. I want to remind you that we saw Saul chosen by god anointed by samuel and his the spirit of the lord came upon saul and scripture says his heart was changed you and i have that opportunity to have that very same experience to have our hearts entirely changed by a true king his our status changed our outlook changed our actions our desires and our eternity changed created to mirror the heart of the true king. To be image bearers of the one who gives us hope. Father, if today you're putting on the hearts of people to follow you for the first time. I pray that you would join them to your church family. I pray that you would knit them together as a part of this body that they could find hope in you that they could find a new heart in you that they could join us as we journey to becoming fully devoted followers of you our true king jesus christ father this morning if there are members of this family that have lost their way that they've declared this little fiefdom and tried to become a a king of a little pile of garbage father convict us of the trash that we're tending and show us the hope that you give us as members of your kingdom father help us to repent and turn our backs on the little life that we're trying to establish and to yield our hearts to you as the one true king Father, I pray that this might be to your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.